This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Where and are they? Where, what? <laughs> where are they? Where who? You the children. Oh, um, what'd you do with them? I thought oh, my, you my, had them. Yeah, I did. My my child's in bed. Where's your child? He is in bed. Okay, so that's now, where the that's where our children. That's are. where our now, two children are. Okay, we've so we've covered two of them. We just got. <laughs> Just gotta find all the other children and make sure they're okay. By the end of the night, or else Christmas mm-hmm. is canceled forever. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I'm distracted because we spent most of our pre-recording time talking about Popeye and Baby which, Sweet Pea, who is yeah. of sort of a <laughs> sort of an undefined lineage, but is definitely not Popeye's kid. Yeah, and I'm still trying to unpack Alice the Goon. Mm-hmm. A we learned a lot about Popeye of, in the last 15 minutes. Yeah. Including Which, that there was a 1980 Robin Williams movie mm-hmm. where they built a set for it in Malta, which is still standing today as a village and tourist trap that you can go to a <laughs> and movie have fun. I knew existed, but a movie I'd never seen footage of, and I just watched the trailer and Robin Williams' forearms sure are something. Mm-hmm. And listen, that now, man already that, had notable forearms. Do you think that he... I mean, do you think it was just makeup, or did he do what the real movie stars do and get actually really disproportionately big forearms for the I, role? It's a great question. Mm-hmm. People should write in if they know the answer, mm-hmm. because we're not going to talk about Popeye anymore on this episode Probably of Overdue. Not, at least for a couple of minutes. We're going to give it a break. We're going to hang Popeye up over here. We're going to talk about... Uh, well, we talk about every week, which is a book that one of us read that we haven't read before, and we're going to tell mm-hmm. the other person about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this week, I read the book, Andrew. You read the book. What was it? It was Where was Are the by? Children, mm-hmm. which is why you asked me where they were. Uh-huh. And then we talked about Popeye, and now you're talk- talking about Where Are the Children by Mary Higgins Clark. Correct. It was mm-hmm. our patron's choice selection for the month of August. What was the theme for that bad boy? Do you remember uh, that? Ladies of Mystery. Ladies of Mystery. Okay. Yeah. Is that one that you came up with? Because that one doesn't have well, the one doesn't have bad wordplay, like the the June one where it was June bugs, or yeah. The September one where it's wake me up in September. Ends. Yeah, when this when this episode drops on Monday, August twenty eighth, there will still be you know about thirty six hours to uh, sign up for the Patreon tier where you can vote for which book about waking up or dreaming or sleeping. You would like us to read because Andrew noticed that the month of September and sleeping mm-hmm. um, make a good Green Day reference. Are thematically tied together, yes, by the song Wake Me Up When September Ends. Is that album good? I haven't listened in a long time and I don't think I want to revisit it. 
I went running to the Jesus of Suburbia medley last mm-hmm. year, and it wasn't I'm, terrible. I am happy for it to be the soundtrack, uh, the soundtrack of the George W. Bush yes. re-election campaign, and I will leave it in the. <laughs> I will Fair leave it enough. in the rearview mirror there. Uh, so speaking of people who have been left sadly in our rearview mirror, Mary oh, Higgins no. Clark. Was oh my God! <laughs> oh boy! Okay, but dang. <laughs> we mean we do just, miss her. She was born in 1927. She died in January 2020, and I saw the date that she had died. She died January 2020 at the age of 92. And it's like talk about getting out while the getting's good. Like, oh you my god, a you're really right. Good time to hop off. Yeah, Mary Higgins. Clark. She left us in the rearview mirror, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, uh, she's a writer of suspense novels, of which Where Are the Children was the first and the most enduringly popular, but she wrote roughly 9,000 of them. Yeah. <laughs> Starting in the mid 70s and continuing through till she died. Um, and uh, so she began, I, I love these sort of author bios where it's obvious that the source is, source is the author themselves. And they all say, like, oh, they began showing an interest in writing at a young age. Mm. And the writing examples are like elementary school style diary projects. Yeah. Her, her entry that is cited says uh, nothing much happened today. That was her first. Hey. And that's <laughs> and that demonstrates an interest in writing from a young age. Well, and, and she is one of those authors that like what's fun about that being such a young example, though, is that she didn't like really take off as a published author until she's like in her late mid to late 40s right yeah she's yeah she's definitely into middle age by the time it happens i'm just like if i ever make it as a writer somehow some way i'm gonna cite my first grade journal where i wrote i saw a bee in ohio as an example of my interest in writing yeah. from a young from andrew a young cunningham age. was interested in writing from a very young age yeah it's true she just has the first half of her life is just marked by a lot of, all of this jovian yeah tragedy like her her father like they're pretty well off but then her father dies young and her mother has to raise like three kids by herself as like a middle-aged woman in the what like the 40s the late yeah 30s, 30 early well 40s. like 30s and 40s her dad died like right before the depression or something like that well i think they were in in the depression oh they're in the depression yeah, yeah, yeah by yeah. the time it had, by, by the time it happened but yeah so she's a she's a woman trying to enter the workforce in america in the 30s and 40s so it's kind of a like hard scrabble existence like her older brother died a young her husband died a few years after they got married, also pretty young. Yeah. Um, her little brother died sometime after that. Like just like a lot of a lot of death and tragedy and, and hardship. Like she in a uh, the one big interview I found and read from her is one a bit older uh, from a website called uh, the the Internet Writing Journal is is the one I found, which is worth reading because it gets yeah, a bit into her bio, a bit into her Catholic faith, a bit into why she doesn't like to write steamy scenes. Oh, tell uh, me she more. Says, she just says something like she said something like sometimes I read somebody's book and I feel like I'm at their physical because that's oh my god, that's how up close and personal I get. And and she she just says you know she she prefers an artful like fade to black instead of. Right, trying to write uh, sexy stuff. Did that detail. article? Um, um, I read in the the New York Times obit um, when she was young. 
uh, before she got married, she was working at working as a switchboard operator in New mm-hmm. York at the Shelton Hotel. Mm-hmm. She would eavesdrop on folks, right? Sometimes, you know, just listening along. And one time, she listened to Tennessee Williams, mm-hmm. famous American playwright, mm-hmm. and she reportedly said she wasn't impressed by anything she heard. Nothing interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and then later when she became a published author, she heard tell that he had read her book and, you know, really didn't like it. And she's like, so I guess we'll call it a draw. Tennessee yeah. Like some, some people just don't get along and that's fine. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, And anyway, she uh, she was she worked as a secretary for a while where she wrote some catalog copy like she was doing some kinds of writing professionally for a while, even though she wasn't necessarily like publishing fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then she. Traveled widely for a year as a, a Pan Am flight attendant. Mm-hmm. Um, after she got married, after so she quit her job, got married. Uh, began Warren taking, Clark. Yes. yes, began writing, taking writing courses at NYU. Um, managed to publish a short story in this span for like a little bit of money, but didn't really have a lot of professional success. She did start attending this like writers workshop that continued for decades and decades that she just continued to go to and oh, run cool. forever and ever, which is neat. Um, but when her husband's health began to fail, she went back to work and started writing radio programs and sketches. This uh, work sort of inspired her first book, which is called Aspire to the Heavens, which is about George and Martha Washington's relationship. It's fictional. But it's about it's like fanfic about George and Martha Washington. (laughs) 1969, Summer of Love, George and Martha Washington. It didn't it didn't do super great. And 1969 is not the summer of love, by the way. Isn't it? No, 67 is the summer of love. 69 is like, uh oh, bad things are. Oh, yeah. Weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, it didn't didn't do well, though. It was republished, you know, later after she was established as this writer of, of thrillers. And I'm sure it did because it had an established author's name on yeah it, it was republished as mount like vernon that. love story mm-hmm. in 2002 amazing title yeah. simply amazing um but yeah she so she she uh publishes what she likes thrillers and suspense novels like just like as a format and her yep. agent says you know you should write another thing i think i think you should should take another crack at it and she starts to just write this write in a genre that she likes and is interested by. And she sells Where Are the Children to Simon and Schuster for $3,000. But by the time the paperback rights came up, she was able to sell that for $100,000. And then her second book sold for $1.5 million. So like pretty meteoric rise once she starts writing in this thriller genre. And that was just, that's kind of it. She's off to the races after that. Yeah, those those first two are both made into a movie, into movies. Yeah, where the, the Children and A Stranger is Watching both the, become films. The Where the Children movie was released in 1986. I recognized zero of the names behind yep. or in front of the camera. Um, it has 5.6 out of 10 stars on IMDb. Similarly, mediocre to poor, Rotten Tomatoes, critical and user reviews. And the New York Times at the time called it a quote torturously torpid thriller. So like not one of the great Yo not one of the great films. Andrew but, though. What? Stranger is watching her second novel mm-hmm. made into an American horror film in nineteen eighty two. Rip Torn is in it. Yeah. Uh James Naughton from Who's the Boss is in it. <laughs> and Kate Mulgrew's in it. Whoa, Captain Janeway's in it? Yeah. Dang. All right. That's pretty Seems good. Seems like people are in that one. Yeah. 
Yeah, Rip Torn and Kate Mulgrew. That's an all-star cast. That's pretty good. For specific definitions of all-star. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. I love it. Um, she's like, you know, she she's won a few awards. She talks uh, she in that interview that I read. She talks a little bit about her like Irish heritage and her uh, writing process. I, I liked these quotes. Um, she says uh, of her and her her husband, this is I think this is taking place in the, this interview is taking place like in the 90s sometime. Uh, she says, we just bought a house in Spring Lake, New Jersey. We're renovating it now and I'm going to set my next book in Spring Lake. It's a wonderful Victorian town. It's an ocean town and it looks as if it hasn't changed in 100 years when you drive into it. I said, there's a good story here. I say, suppose a young woman inherits a house here that her grandmother left to her and suppose that and she trails off. I just go from there. Being Irish is a help, I must say. The Irish are great storytellers. The Irish do nothing simply. No one just goes to the store for some milk and returns. It's more like, oh, dear God, such a trip. It was raining, and I thought I'd slip for sure, and then everything is an adventure. Uh, and then she says on writing, so many people tell me I'm going to write a book as soon as the three fatal words are as soon as. As soon as I learn to use the computer, as soon as I quit my job, as soon as the kids grow up, as soon as the dog dies. But trust me, as soon as the kids grow up and the dog dies, there will be a new set of excuses not to write, which will be equally valid. Uh, if you're a morning person, get up an hour earlier and use that time to write. If you're a night person, go to bed an hour later. But don't say you're too busy because you'll always be too busy. So just always like th- that the advice that writers who crank out like one or two books a year, every year for 30 years, like the advice that they always have is always like always boils down to like, just sit down and do it. Yeah. And you'll figure it out. I I was intrigued that you found a quote that had her saying suppose in it because Mm -hmm. the obit mentioned that NYU writing workshop and one of the teachers like really drilled into her and like they, like they talked about like, Take something you know about, something you'd read before, a story you'd heard about, and then just ask, ask, suppose, or what if. Just ask a question. Just ask a question. <laughs> suppose. Because <laughs> um, this was based on a true story, apparently. This mm-hmm. this novel was a true crime that did, in fact, happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but she the the... I think her take on it was... Okay, what if I what if that woman from that trial then just like tried to reinvent her life and then what what might have happened next? Yeah. Um you write fanfic about real life and that's just fiction, baby. The other quote I I heard that that seems relevant and <laughs> she my, said That's my writing advice is sure. just write fanfic about real life. She said let others decide whether or not I'm a good writer. I know I'm a good Irish storyteller. <laughs> um so yeah, that's that's, that's, I love book. how the adjective Irish can mean a lot of things yeah. when applied to like Irish coffee, Irish mm-hmm. goodbye. Like those are two Irish storyteller. These are those very are different, three different Irishes. <laughs> yeah, good work. Um, also, the the New York Times noted that in 1988, there was a report in the paper that she had received the first eight figure agreement for a single author, like a ten million dollar contract. Dang. Um, I guess, you know, she was with Simon and Schuster her entire career. So I, mm-hmm. that's, I presume that's who it was with. So, mm-hmm. yeah, she's uh, the queen she's, of suspense. She's the queen. She's written a million books. She is she is well regarded in her genre. I had I had just simply never encountered her before. And you look at the the titles of her books, like sometimes when we talk about an author that we've never done on the show before or that we've never experienced personally. We can at least look at the the titles of the books and be like, Oh, 
I have through some kind of pop cultural osmosis, like been exposed to this before. And the names of the books are all kind of like broadly sort of, sort of broad and not specifically memorable. I would say like, uh, on the street where you live, silent night, the shadow of your smile, weep no more. My lady, like these are, I can see these names on a paperback book in Walmart in like a sort of cursive adjacent typeface like kind of uh lightly raised yeah lightly raised on the book cover and like maybe there's a picture of like a a woman and you can see like her what she's wearing but you can't see like her whole head or something yep that Um, my yeah (laughs) same familiarity is seeing these in like the Genardi's, like, which was our local grocery store. Oh, I thought you were making up a generic name for no. a grocery store. No, we went, the Genardi's was real. <laughs> and, like, w- uh, one time in elementary school, we got to take a tour and, like, go into the, into the fridge and stuff. Wow. Yeah. No, Genardi's, cool, you sound man. like a bad Pennsylvania Senate candidate trying to prove that you go to the normal people grocery store. No, yeah. <laughs> they got bought by Giant, though. It was kind of sad. Anyway, oh, okay. um, no, I remember like seeing her name on the shelf, and I also recognize so she wrote five like crossover holiday novels with her daughter, Carol Higgins Clark, mm-hmm. um, who is also a mystery slash thriller author. Um, and like I recognize those names alongside, like you'd see them along like John Saul and Dean Koontz and those folks. You see, I don't know, like I don't I don't recognize the names specifically. I sim I just recognize the archetype of of book that they like yeah. I, I can tell you the exact kind of book that they are and I can tell you that I've never experienced any of them personally. You know Well, you're about to experience one now, Andrew. Well secondhand still, but <laughs> This is as close as I've ever brushed up against one, I think. Yeah, I have uh, rolled this book up, and I'm Mm going to light it, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to smoke it right in front of you. Whoa. Whoa, dang. (laughs) You're going to hotbox me with this book? Yeah, take a break. With with Mary Higgins Clark. You're about to get hotboxed with Where Are the Children? (laughs) If you want to make a website... Lucky you, this podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. They are the website that helps you make websites. They give you easy-to-use drag-and-drop tools, beautiful templates, and they never, ever make you muck around in CSS or HTML or any of the other like acronym standards that you need to, <laughs> to know about to make a website on most other website-making services. Okay. Uh, our website's based on Squarespace. Uh, we use Squarespace for our wedding websites, what feels like a preposterous amount of time ago. Long time ago. Happened. Not that long ago. More but time still than you longer would think. Ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> we're very familiar with the platform and we're very comfortable recommending it. Here are some things that we like about Squarespace that we think you also are going to like. Craig, do you hear that liquid swash sloshing around coming wait, down the wait, coming wait. down the pipes? Don't is that the fluid engine? It's the fluid engine, Craig. It's a next generation website design system from Squarespace, and it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. Start with a best in class website template and customize every design detail with reimagined drag and drop technology for desktop or mobile. They also have blogging tools that you can use to share stories, photos, videos, and updates, categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. 
and you can use analytics insights to grow your business, learn where your site visits and sales are coming from, and analyze which channels are most effective. Improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. If any of this sounds good, and I know that it does, head it does. to squarespace.what. It does <laughs> sound Whoa, good. You, you scared me. I was in the flow talking about websites. You were in the fluid engine. I was sloshing around in the fluid engine. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace, where are the websites? Now, this is a story all about how her life got flipped, turned upside down, and maybe she she killed her kids, but that case was odd, so I'll tell you how she became a resident of a town called Cape Cod. <laughs> does that scan? Am the I last DJ one Jazzy doesn't. Jeff in this scenario? No. <laughs> the, maybe she, maybe she killed her I? kids, but the case was odd. So I'll tell you how she became a resident of a town called Cape Cod. Like, it's not exact. <laughs> But if you, uh, what I have learned about um, Willard Smith's raps mm-hmm. is, if you just care enough and you don't cuss at all, <laughs> you get close. That is he promised his grandma. That is some wiki wiki wild stuff. I, right. I, but thank you for telling me the like the the secret to his success. Now you and I, Andrew, we've never read a Mary Higgins Clark. Never ever. Uh, I have now. But never yes. before. And I still haven't. Um, and I was not familiar with the case of Alice Crimmins, on which this book is based. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a woman who was charged with killing her two children um, in the 1960s, would later be convicted of uh, manslaughter, and then overturned on appeal. And then there was a second trial convicted of first degree murder. And then both convictions were overturned, and then she was convicted for a man. It's a whole thing. And then she was paroled. Anyway. So if you were going to make a song about it, you could do your thing about Cape Cod, or you could say, this is the story of a girl who killed her children and stunned the whole world. Oh, my God. (laughs) You could, in fact, do that, because it was like a big news story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And apparently, Mary Higgins Clark would do this thing where she would just like go to murder trials now i don't think that she went to this one necessarily but about somebody once told me the court would soon parole me oh my god (laughs) i'm just doing these off the top that's good i I had to write mine out this is impressive um but so when that quote from her her obit that i mentioned earlier where she's just like yeah i was in this writing workshop where they said, like, take something you've read before or something in your life and then ask a suppose or what if question about it and then start your story there. So I, I don't think that there's anything in the Crimmins case that I have seen in my in my brief knowledge of it um, that suggests anything in this novel is remotely like it, um, except for there was a lady. Mm-hmm. There was a lady. Mm-hmm. Um, Lived in a shoe. <laughs> I was trying to do a Brady Bunch thing, but oh, sure, no, that's good. Um, <laughs> she was bringing up three very lovely girls until she wasn't anymore. I, oh no! <laughs> so okay, I also meant to preface this. Uh, this book, and it's probably more a content warning for the book itself, mm-hmm. is kids get kidnapped in it. 
um, the main bad guy in it is uh, a pedophile. Oh, right. Who is also a murderer. Mm-hmm. And it is not a a morally gray book, which I... You, ma- you mentioned that to me like as part of our prep conversation. And I wanted to know what you meant. Is it just like the bad people are sort of mustache twirling like tying people to train tracks level bad like there's no nuance and you were expecting nuance or what was the a little bit yeah and there was in the 2015 article i read about her it references gone girl as a descendant of this type of thriller Mm -hmm. but that book also hinges on a protagonist like disappearing and also being a bad person but is are they a bad person and like what is who is the real person will they well, stand up you even know in like a, an episode of, of law and order or if you if you'll allow it uh, bones i will allow it when Go ahead. the murderer confesses around like minute 52 or so yep they still get you know they, they still get their tearful monologue where you maybe are allowed to feel just the slightest modicum of not like sympathy exactly but you know where, where you get a teeny tiny window into how you know if if your life had been different maybe you could have gotten to the same place yes you know what yes. i mean well and it reminded me too of like something like silence of the lambs where like buffalo bill real bad guy uh uh jody foster's character real good person um hannibal lecter also bad guy bad guy but He's we faces like, but we like spending time with him he's so interesting yeah. Like there's not a character like that here. There's not a You could eat faces and still be fun to talk to. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, but there's not a a moral complication in this book. And I was surprised I just I mostly said it out out loud in this because I was surprised by that as I was reading it. Like I was Okay, set up of this book. It'll make more sense. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I think I'll, when we come back to this idea, I will need you to tell me the like the just moment give, where it hit, clicked. Well, hit me some, hit me with some examples of other works in this genre that you've read that maybe they came later, but they but they had more of the gray area that you were expecting it didn't get in this. Gone, I, I mean, Gone Girl will be the the top example, but also I guess I'm thinking of something like a ton of French mystery. Mm-hmm. Like a murder squad mystery where like I the main thing in this book is that pretty early on, you know who the bad guy is, or at least you have a pretty good sense of who he is, even if you don't know his true identity. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing like way earlier in this book than I expected. It's like, yeah, he took the kids. He he's a bad guy. He's mm-hmm. going to mess up these kids. Mm-hmm. And like. The whole central question of of the backstory of the characters, I expected to be a longer mystery that might draw out over the course of the book, oh, okay. and that is not what the book is about. It so you meet a, you meet the villain like pretty early, and they're just like a villain the whole time. The prologue, okay, is a creeper in a house. Now I know he's a creeper because he sneaks up behind you and he makes a hissing noise, and then he blows up your house. <laughs> read a minecraft novel and he's green and he's and he's green and he has like a frowny face yeah Mm -hmm. i know he's a creeper because he references having clothes for the special times end quote nobody nobody says it like that unless (laughs) unless they're very creepy you're right yeah he lives it's around uh so they're up in cape cod 
He is uh, in this apartment at the top of a building called The Lookout, which is owned by this old man who can't live there anymore. He's going to try and sell it. But for the last seven years, this creeper guy named Courtney Parrish has been renting the upstairs apartment. And he's got a telescope that he's using to look at Nancy Eldridge's house. Mm -hmm. And he also says that he has sent an article to a paper, presumably revealing Nancy's deep, dark secret. And he says he expects the police to, like, go and talk to her. And he expects them to say, come on, Nancy, come clean with us. Tell the truth. You know you can't get away with this. Tell us, Nancy, where are the children? And that's how the prologue ends. Okay. So at the end of the prologue, I'm like, okay, this guy's a bit of a creep. But but they also said the name of the thing in the thing, like pretty early. And pretty so cool. You're pretty amped up from that. I'm pretty amped for that. And mm-hmm. also, I've gotten the sense that, well, Nancy, something happened with Nancy in the past that is going to maybe happen again or something. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, there's going to be some like, I don't know, did she do it or not? Um, so then I'm going to I'm going to give you the next chapter ish. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to run through a bunch of the characters Okay. Um, because at a certain point, this book is just like a freight train that's just rolling. Mm-hmm. And I might wind up covering a bunch of plot just by talking about all the people in the book, which might be okay. a more interesting way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just doing the like the the page turny. Especially because this book isn't whatever, yeah. a who is the bad guy book. It's like here is a bad guy, and this is the story of yeah. how they how they eventually got taken down. I guess would, yes. would be the okay. the 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 New York Times obit said her heroes were often female, her villains male, and she said that she wrote about quote nice people whose lives are invaded. Mm-hmm. So that's what that that is what this book is. Okay, it's Nancy's birthday. She's married to this guy named Ray. They have two kids named Michael, Missy and Michael. Michael's the oldest boy. He's the oldest boy, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nancy doesn't like to celebrate her birthdays because something bad happened on her birthday seven years ago. Nancy doesn't really want anyone in town to know who she is. She's kind of standoffish. It's not a big town, and people have noticed. Sure. People are, people are giving Ray some crap down at the country club. Like, why do you why doesn't your wife ever come around, Ray? Like some real like seventies, eighties guy energy. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh she moved to Cape Cod six or seven years ago and met Ray. They hit it off. They wound up getting married and have the kids. Ray wants her to be more a part of the community to get involved, mm-hmm. but she has declined. Mm-hmm. And she used to be married to a guy named Carl. And had two kids named Peter and Lisa. Okay. There's a lot of names so far. Yep. Pretty, and again, way earlier in the book than I thought we would learn any of this. Mm -hmm. Here's a full quote. She could still remember the feeling of peace and welcome it had given her when she'd first seen it. This is the house in Cape Cod. She'd come to the Cape after the conviction had been set aside. The district attorney hadn't pressed for a new trial because Rob Legler his vital prosecution witness, had disappeared. What a name. She'd fled here, completely across the continent, as far away from California as she could get, as far away from the people she'd known, and the place she'd lived, and the college, and the whole academic community there. She never wanted to see them again, the friends who had turned out not to be friends, but hostile strangers who spoke of, quote, poor Carl, because they blamed his suicide on her, too. Mm. So, 
you learn that she had been part of a murder trial of her two kids out in California. Then her husband is found uh, dead by suicide in his car in the lake. Mm -hmm. And her first trial was tossed out because two jurors were at the bar talking about how guilty she was. (laughs) Oops. And in between trials, Rob Legler got drafted for Vietnam, didn't want to go, and fled to Canada. Okay. And he is like the crux of the prosecution's case. So by the in the eyes of the justice system, she's been cleared, but no, not not in a way that satisfies anybody in the community. And so there's no path to like redemption. The district attorney has said publicly. Now it has been it has been six or seven years, so he I I don't know if he would still be the district attorney. I don't know how that works. Yeah, it depends on like if he's appointed or elected and like how long the terms are and if there are limits. It's a whole but, thing. But he has said as soon as he could get Rob Legler back in front of a court, he would try this case again and lock this lady up. You got no statute of limitations? You got no double jeopardy? Like, what are we talking about? I don't, Legler? Yeah, I don't know how that works. Not, Le- Legler's the witness. Who is the name of the district attorney? I guess we don't need to know. I don't, we don't ever meet him, so I don't, okay. I don't really remember. Um, but so this is her backstory. And so the, the book I'm thinking is taking shape, Andrew, mm-hmm. is like... Okay, so she has two more kids. Clearly, they're going to go missing. And it's going to be a real, like, did she kill those kids or not? Like, yeah. not only the new ones, but, like, did she kill the old kids? Mm-hmm. Um, and Or maybe it's a tale of redemption because she... <laughs> Because she doesn't kill her new kids and it becomes clear that she didn't kill her old kids. Well, yeah, maybe... Um, so let me run down all of the characters. The the thing that this book does that you would be pretty comfortable with through your experience with someone like Dan Brown. Yeah, I love that guy. Is famously have never had any never had a bad word to say about him. I, I enjoyed this book more than I've enjoyed Dan Brown, mostly because at least at this point in her career, like the swings are pretty h- humble for lack of a better like it's, it's a, not a, it's not a book about how some hyper genius who's smarter than you like yeah. thinks about art so hard that he foils a plan to kill the world with a whole with a virus or whatever. Yes, yes. Okay. It's a missing kids story <laughs> mm-hmm. that is that has a lot of the same structural elements though where like chapters can be pretty quick. She will often jump to a completely different perspective both to leave you on a cliffhanger and to like changed the rhythm of the book for a period of time um but every person is like just a little more involved than you would expect they would be in the events of the book so i want to run down all of the pov characters and hopefully that will give us a sense of like what happens in this book okay so just like interrogate me about them as we go sure that you know if anybody sounds interesting ask more Mm -hmm. questions okay ray eldridge Okay. They changed his name to Clay for the movie, and I don't know why. Huh. I mean, I guess like it's a more like it's a it's a meatier sound than Ray. I guess you know? mm-hmm. he's her husband. He wants the best for her. He's not quite sure what to do. He's a realtor. Um, there's a scene early on, uh, before the children go missing, where he's at the office, 
and Dorothy, an older woman who works with him, who's also a good friend of Nancy's, uh, is like, he's like, hey, uh, I really am stressed about this whole Nancy thing. I want her to go out on the town and celebrate her birthday. I really need her to be like part of the community. The thing you learn here is that Ray and Dorothy both know that she uh, was part of a murder trial. Mm-hmm. No one else in town knows. She has not used her real name. She has changed her hair, which, as mm-hmm. you know, renders people completely unrecognizable. I've seen enough TV shows. I've read enough comics to know that if you change your hair, you change your look. You change, yeah. you change everything about yourself. So they are kind of arguing about like how best to help Nancy. Nancy. I combined her name with Dorothy there for a second because I was reading <laughs> Dorothy's name. That's a beautiful for a girl. I think I like Nancy. <laughs> uh, and there's this kind of awkward moment. I, I didn't find too much in this book objectionable from a writing perspective. I, I mostly enjoyed it as a like propulsive plot forward. These, these writers thing. almost all thrive in this like nothing. Nothing wrong with the prose yep. space where where like. Probably you also didn't bring a ton of quotes about like awesome turns of phrase that you liked, but there's nothing I in didn't. this. There's nothing in this that did not go down smooth. Dorothy has two of my struck me awkward's here. Ooh, struck you awkward. We're changing it. So, well, because it's not funny. It's just awkward. Mm-hmm. So, like Ray, he's a fine guy. There's there's no part of the book that reveals him to be a weirdo or a bad dad or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the worst thing about him so far is that he has a membership at a country club. <laughs> well, that is an indictment of a different kind. <laughs> and all his friends are standing around being like, hey, Ray, why don't you bring your wife down so we can look at a games? There is. Listen, OK, there's also there's it does just have the casual misogyny of the 1970s in the book. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like a, there's another guy we meet later. Dr. Jonathan Knowles, who, by all accounts, in this book, great guy. Or no, he's not a doctor. They combine him with a doctor for the movie. Dang it. Um, oh, man. You should have read so much lawyer. about the movie. He's just a lawyer. Okay. Which is worse enough. Anyway, he's, he's not a public <laughs> defender. He's a lawyer. Um, he's a doctor of the law. Yeah, fair enough, probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jurisprudence and whatnot. Um, when we first meet him, he's like going for a walk. I love to. He's a retiree. He's also a widower. He's very sympathetic. But yeah, one I mean, of the love, first love, an old guy on a constitutional is one of the more sympathetic character archetypes, I think. Yep. They and one of the first things he says though is he's walking by the Eldridge house and he's like, you know, I like those I like Ray. I've always liked Ray. Um I don't know Nancy too well, but she always has a nice greeting for me in the morning and then she goes back to her work. I like that quality in a woman. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what is that? What does that mean? You like that she says hello to you and then goes back to her own business. She says hi and then she doesn't get mouthy. <laughs> Jonathan that's what Knowles. I love in a, that's what I love in abroad so the t- the two others struck me awkward from Dorothy she's talking to Ray and uh Ray is like oh, I really want to push Nancy to celebrate her birthday and like be a part of this community and obviously they both are sensitive to the whole murder thing and Dorothy's like listen Ray I was here when the Secretary of State of Massachusetts urged you to go into politics because the Cape needs young men of your caliber to represent it. I heard him say that he'd give you any help and endorsement possible. It's pretty hard not to be able to take him up on that. But as things stand now, you can't, and you know it. And she's, like, accusing him of, like, you know, because he wants to go into politics, he needs a wife who can, like, be public. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, 
Mary, I know you didn't. You really just wanted to get to the part where the children go away and we mm-hmm. ask where they are. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> like you couldn't show me a letter or a phone call. Like you just had Dorothy be like, listen, she Ray. To say the thing. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Dorothy. I like Dorothy. She's she, you know, she started working for for Ray because she just like liked the cut of his jib and she needed something to do. I can't remember if she's also a widow. A lot of older people in this book are just out there looking for love. Um, I mean, I'm, I've got to imagine to some extent that reflects the the mindset of Mary Higgins Clark in, in 1975. Like, I, she has been pretty clear about, you know, like writing what she knows, just kind of seeing a situation in life and, and being inspired by it. So, yeah, I'm like, this is a this is the thing she would have a lot of familiarity with. I would not be surprised, honestly, if because because I think that. Is also one of the demographics that these kinds of books really hit for. So, yep, like sure. maybe, maybe people can some people can read this and feel like seen in some in some way. That's a know. great read, and I I was gonna say it's it's also she positions it as kind of a reflection of the demographic of people who might be up in the cape. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Jonathan is depict is the one who says like. He and his wife planned to move up there together, but then she got sick or something kind of thing like that. Um, But yeah, the fact that that might also be part of the target demo is a good thought. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dorothy is, I like her. She does well throughout the book. Um, One of the things that's going to happen in the events of the book is they need to show the property that the creeper is renting the top floor of Mm -hmm. um, because it's up for sale. And there's a Greek guy, John, uh, John Krogopoulos. Jingle. <laughs> Jingleheimer Schmidt. Yeah. Um, Johnny K, Johnny Krogopoulos. He is going to potentially buy it and turn it into a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And she says, I've never known a Greek person who didn't give a restaurant a go or something like that. <laughs> Or who couldn't make a go at a restaurant. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's like a charitable stereotype. Sure. And Ray is so distraught by his wife's like weird birthday and like fake murder not fake murder, but like her murder charge and everything, that he's like, ah and yes, and he says like a bunch of other like kind of racist things uh-huh. to like put them in her mouth as like, why are you being a bad person, Dorothy? Because he's mm-hmm. just like having a bad day. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I God, I hate labels and like storms off. Hashtag no labels. And I, I just found labels to be a weird word to use when she had like inadvertently made a Greek stereotype. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of I hate all, labels like Greek. <laughs> all Greek people run diners, I guess, in Dorothy's mm-hmm. experience. It's very mm-hmm. weird. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so she's she's also is a point of view character. Uh, Jonathan Knowles, the guy with the, um, the friendly widower with the weird thought about women briefly. Um, he's a real Sarah Koenig. He is spending his retirement um, making a book of controversial verdicts that he's going to go through the case files on. Mm-hmm. And he, lawyer Jonathan Knowles Esquire, is going to weigh in. Okay, yeah. I hope he becomes really uncomfortably close to the story, too, while he's doing this. So each chapter is a different case. And he reads, the, he has a researcher. He does have a researcher. Mm-hmm. who brings everything together for him and then he like reads it 
and he writes up his chapter and he goes, this is what I think happened. And sometimes he agrees with what the court said and sometimes he doesn't. Like each each chapter of his in fiction work that he is, is a different that he's book. writing is okay. a different case. Yeah. I want to read that book. It kind of sounds neat, except I thought I got to the point where like he's like this one guy got the death penalty for a like a proven murder, but then he got probation and then I think that was a good call. And I'm just like, I don't agree with the death penalty, but I I do think that maybe probation after, like, first-degree murder might be tough. Yeah, because you're, it like, was just well, a weird moment. Just like, he got yeah, me right in my, like... Don't you do it po- again. <laughs> yeah, he got me right in my politics where I was like, Jonathan, you're challenging me, sir. Right, right in the, the, the area where you're like, I, I fully support public schools and public services and public transit and everything that my taxes go to pay for. But when I personally have to pay more taxes than I had to pay than I did before, I become Mitt Romney. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> just like, just for a minute, like I come back around later, but just for a sec, I become Mitt Romney. <laughs> That's why all politicians talk to everybody as if they're a small business owner mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because small business owners like ourselves are always yeah, like, we are small business owners. They're like, yeah, use my taxes Emphasis forever. <laughs> Except my taxes, though. Yeah, not mine. No, because I'm like I'm doing I'm doing good work, and I shouldn't have to. <laughs> I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to pay in like all these other people. Anyway, mm-hmm. he's a fun character, and he he becomes a vehicle for us to get some of the case stuff. Like later in the book, it'll cut to him reading about the Nancy Harmon case not knowing that Nancy Harmon has become N- Nancy Eldridge, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, later in the book, we meet Dr. Lyndon Miles. Okay. So, uh, so many of these names that you are telling yeah. me about, like these are names of people who should have their own series of books with like 16 books in them. I kind of love it. Yeah. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Miles is a renowned therapist in Boston who later in the book we learn had a thing with Nancy's mom, but never met Nancy. Mm-hmm. Now, Nancy's mom is dead mm-hmm. because something happened to her car and she got into an accident. Mm-hmm. Nancy's mom was going to California to meet Nancy's new husband, pending husband, Carl. <laughs> pending, with- p- pending husband is a fun it's a fun way to describe that relationship. And Carl is the one with whom she had the two children who died mm-hmm. that she was accused that she, of murder That she for. beat the rap for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when Nancy's mom died, Dr. Miles was like, I don't, I've never met this girl. I don't want to make it weird to show up and be like, I'm your dead mom's boyfriend. I'm going to keep distance. Carl seems like an okay guy. And then he got a job in London and so he was in London the whole time during the trial and never heard about it. Uh-huh. Otherwise, he would have come and like tried to help her because mm-hmm. he, you know, he would have tried to be like, I don't think she would have done that, even though he never met her. Whatever. Mm-hmm. He shows up later in the book when he hears that Nancy's current children have gone missing, and the whole and also a newspaper article in the Cape Cod Community News has been published. Ooh. I can just imagine the like the purple like you know yes, like the, mimi- the color purple was popping for me in my mental image of this paper <laughs> and um multiple people we get multiple scenes of people in this book picking up the community newspaper and they all read it and it's like did you know that 
Nan- it's Nancy Harmon's birthday, and Nancy Harmon is the woman from the murder trial, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's pictures of her here in Cape Cod, and it's who's Nancy Eldridge, and it is saying like, "Well, she's celebrating her 32nd birthday and the seventh anniversary of the death of the children she was found guilty of murdering." Cool article to run in your community newspaper. That's an awesome, yeah, an awesome article. So, so there, are, I've, I've got a in a book like this, I would assume that there would be someone from. Nancy's past life who is sure that she did that she killed her kids and upon seeing that she had started a new life and had new kids would be really desperate to stop her from killing again is that is that an archetype that we see at all like how many people from her old life like parachute into her her new one and start trying to like nail her down again does that happen no none whatsoever and that was the book I thought was going to happen yeah like so let me tell you about the. Uh, there's a few other POV, but no, you're right. <laughs> when when this is happening and everyone is like, "Oh my God, that lady was a murderer, or maybe a murderer," and people are like, "Wow, she's lived she's lived here for six or seven years," and how come Ray, like the chief of police, Jed Coffin, uh, <laughs> who is a good guy, maybe. He does. He, he's not a bad guy, even though he's the chief of police. Also, and he, if you walked into a room and there was a vampire in it, and the vampire's coffin that he slept in was also in the room, and you asked him what his name was, yeah, and he did that thing where you come up with a name by looking around the room and just yep. naming the, the things that you see. Uh-huh. Jed Coffin, high up on the list of things. Yep, <laughs> that that you would say. Anyway, he, go, go, he is one of the first continue. people who is like. Well, Ray never told me his wife was a murderess, and now I suspect her in the disappearance of her children. Like, that is Jed Coffin's deal. He is there to suspect her and to be outraged that he didn't know about her past. And Mm -hmm. other people in the book are similarly like, well, like Jonathan Knowles, the lawyer that we've talked about, he has a crush on Dorothy, the lady who said that thing about Greek people, and (laughs) he's kind of offended that Dorothy wouldn't confide in him about like Nan- cuz like Dorothy came up with a backstory about knowing Nancy from Virginia which is false mm-hmm. and Jonathan's like well why that kind of stinks that she would lie to me also i always knew that she was probably the same person Jonathan <laughs> shut up um the the uh also John Krogopoulos gets a POV chapter he's a greek war vet who wants to make a go of having a rest <laughs> oh no Oh, no. That one really got me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and there's also Deputy Bernie, who's kind of like a dink. He's sort of like, I don't know, last time you watched the movie Scream, if you've ever watched the movie Scream. I, I don't know that I've ever watched the entire thing. Horror horror has never been my, my genre. He reminds me of, um, who's the guy that Courtney Cox married? Uh, David Arquette? Yes. He reminds me of David Arquette's character in mm-hmm. that film. Um, which Courtney Cox is in that film. I, I don't I can't remember if that's how they met or if they were already a couple. Anyway, somebody I will tell me. I don't remember the point at which she became Courtney Cox Arquette, but yes. Um, the other, the one of the characters from the past, Andrew, which you asked about, we love, get love to learn about the past. Tell me, we more. get a POV chapter from or several POV chapters from Rob Legler, the key witness who disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been in Canada the whole time, and halfway through, the cops get a tip. 
that he was in town, the ga- a gas station attendant recognized him because he's also in the newspaper article that's been printed, a photo of him. So now mm-hmm. people are like on the lookout for Rob Legler, even though no one in Cape Cod knew who this guy was before. Is that why most states you think went to like a like a self-serve system for for pumping gas is because they just wanted to cut down on the number of people who could recognize you if you were on the land. That's definitely it. <laughs> okay. Um and during his so so he has come down from Canada because a guy he knows spotted Nancy in Cape Cod, mm-hmm. wrote him a note about it. His plan is that Nancy has come into a bit of money. He's going to say, "Hey Nancy, if you give me 50 grand, I will run away to Argentina and they can never call me in front of a court again. You'll never see me again. Uh, so give me the money or else maybe I'll talk to them or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's his plan. And so he gets mixed up in the missing children of, of the whole day. Um, and people are suspecting him because he's tied to the original case um, when really he's just there uh, to get you know, get away from his record as a as a deserter during mm-hmm. the Vietnam War, which he should feel very good about, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's it, except for there's some random characters that Boy, get POV chapters know, later. No, it's a whole it's a whole like bus full of people in this book. The other person we spend a lot of time with is the creeper himself, Courtney Parrish. Mm-hmm. Who Courtney Parrish Arquette. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. He, um, so he is the bad, capital B, capital G, bad guy of the book. Is he the guy who killed the original children? Yeah. Okay, and he's, he's going to try and kill these children too, huh? Yeah. And he's been in the Cape for several years now uh, spying on Nancy. And at one point, a reporter asks Chief Jed Coffin, um, hey, Jed, haven't several other children been disappeared or murdered for six years now in mm-hmm. the Cape? And he's like, yeah. And they're like, how long has she lived in the Cape? And he's like, six years. And they're like, thank you, Chief. Good journalism. G- great journalism, but even better policing to, yeah. like not, to, not, <laughs> to not have uh, more than like a yes or no answer prepared. for. Yep. <laughs> Pretty stupid yeah. IMO. Mm-hmm. Um. Every character except for Creeper Courtney Parrish mm-hmm. is a good person at their heart. Okay. Maybe they made some mistakes, uh, like Rob Legler. Maybe they make some mistakes today or they judge Nancy incorrectly during mm-hmm. the, the 20, you know, not even 24 hours of this novel. Oh, it's only um, 24 hours? Man, there's a lot of people to meet in a day. If that, I think it might only be like 12 hours. Like, it mm-hmm. is not a long. Like, the kids disappear at 10 to 10 in the morning. Mm-hmm. There's a big freak snowstorm that, like, makes the day feel like night the rest of the day. And, like, power's going out and phone lines are cutting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they get found at night. So okay. that's it. Jeez. Um, everyone else is, like, a good person except for this creeper guy who, by chapter four, he we watch him go and steal the children. Oh, it's not it's away. not even the children are gone and we need to find out who did it. It's like, nope. remember that creep that we introduced you to in the prologue of the book? Well, yep. he's at it again and he's stolen the children and that's where they are. And then in, a, in another recent chapter, not long after that, he says he recounts the time. So he makes some remarks that his appearance has changed, Andrew. 
wait, he is wait, now he changed change his haircut or something. <laughs> he is now much heavier. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of language I don't like in the book about him being a really heavy guy and uh-huh. being disgusting to people. Sure. Um, but he says he almost bumped into Nancy at the supermarket and he says there was always a chance that he'd run into her and she'd recognize him even with his changed appearance, that she'd recognize him, Andrew. Mm-hmm. And so, so he just sedates the children and takes them away. Um, he takes them into his creepy, weird apartment. There's a whole tense scene where Dorothy is showing John Kragopoulos uh, the building and uh, Courtney Parrish is like trying to hide the fact that he has children in a closet and later I mean, you know among us. Um, and like then like another chapter later he is talking about how uh, how easy it is to kidnap well-trained children because they will just listen to like adults yeah man that's like that's that sucks yep and I as a I struggle to get because I mean, Henry Henry's got like various like speech delays and things. And so working with him on having a conversation where he volunteers new information about facts, not right in front of his face is, has, has like been a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, as somebody who struggles to get his kid to tell him what he did, like at school today or in any context, it's like, well, if something awful was happening to you, you would not know to tell me about it. And that like, that makes me like low key worried all the time. Yep. If, if like children being in danger is a thing for you or anyone listening, uh, have you don't need to read this book. Maybe you'll be fine with it because it is just kind of like the bad guy did the bad thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not really about like systems of children being in danger or anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are in peril. Uh, and so like. I don't know, like man. Where where are the children is a is a question that the book answers too quickly. Like why pretty why isn't quickly. It, <laughs> pretty quickly, actually. Why isn't it like the, the title of the book is like what is Courtney Parrish doing to the children? Like that, that feels more honestly <laughs> more relevant to what the book is dealing with. Yeah, and so I I I don't want to knock the book for being the book that it is. I found it an enjoyable so like the plot is he's got the kids. A series of events happen where some people learn where the kids are. Some people had uh, like a weird sense about Courtney and go confront him. Rob gets like is like a red herring for the police. Some random people in town thought Courtney Parrish was weird and wanted to tell the police about it. And Nancy ultimately gets to confront him uh and then, like, at the very last second, Ray shows up to help her from falling off, uh, like, a, a balcony or something. But Nancy actually gets to have, like, a one-on-one fight with him to save her kids for the most part. Now, can you guess the real identity of Courtney Parrish, Andrew? Just, like, take a wild swing and guess. I've not given you much of the information that you would probably need to make an informed guess. But I mean, is it like her first husband or something? Yeah, dude. All right, there we go. So there's a really weird sequence in the middle of the book mm-hmm. where, uh, and so like at the end, like he doesn't actually die when he falls off the balcony because he is so obese that it breaks the railing, and so then he falls into the water. <sighs> uh-huh. it's really cool. And he, and he falls into like a big cream pie, and then it's, everybody laughs at him. God. Um, 
but Jesus. he does like he has he sustains life threatening injuries. He confesses and then he dies. Um, so he but we never but we all... never like saw him die before. No, no. So no. it's the it's the fiction rule of like no on screen death. Yes, he dr- quote unquote he drove his car into a lake by San Francisco or into the ocean or something, and he left a note um, saying that he was so distraught about the kids, but he did not. No one actually found him, I guess. I actually had to like comb through the book. No one asks that question about his body, as far as I could find in, in trying to skim through the book again. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle of the book, I, Jed Coffin is not a good policeman because here's what he, he allows sound to like happen. A good policeman. <laughs> Len, Dr. Miles and lawyer Jonathan Knowles burst into the house where they have Nancy. Uh-huh. And Jed Coffin's like, I got to take her down to the station to talk to her about these missing kids because she was accused of murder before. And that's literally what set her off this morning because this newspaper came out and we found her distraught in the lake looking for the kids and her other kids were drowned. So like, we should talk to her. Uh huh. And Ray's like, I don't want that to happen because I think I don't think that she did it. And then Jonathan Knowles like, I don't think that she did it. He has like some cockamamie reason why it's actually kind of interesting, but not worth talking about. Um, and Lyndon Miles rolls up. He's never met this woman before, but he's like, hey, I loved your mom. Uh, big fan. Uh, I didn't show up last time when you were in trouble and I'm here to help now. And she's like, please help me remember. Why can't I remember where my children went? Like, because she thinks that she kind of like blacked out and doesn't remember like what happened before her children disappeared. Mm hmm. So he administers, and the cops allow this. Doctor Miles, I mean, I, that that part does not surprise me that the cops allow whatever is about to happen, knowing nothing about what is about to happen. So, so the uh, Jonathan's going to be her lawyer first of all. Uh huh. Um, what could go wrong? And Doctor Miles says, because she's like, "Help me remember, Doctor Miles. I don't remember what happened to my children." And he's like, "Great, I'm going to administer sodium amytal." A.K.A. a truth serum. <laughs> at one point, someone in the book, at, like, I think it's Jonathan, is like, aren't you, Dr. Miles, a well-renowned user of sodium amytal? And he's like, yes, I am. You mean you mean renowned? What did I say? You said renowned. renowned? Ooh, you said renowned. Boy. I get why you would say that, because known feels like it should be part of the thing. No, right? it's renowned. You're That's right. Renowned. But that that feels like the kind of thing where we would say, yes, I do believe in it. And guess what? I'm on the truth serum right now. Right now. <laughs> and the cop is like, listen, we can't use any of this testimony in court. And they're like, yeah, but you could listen to what she says and then you'd know what questions to ask her. Later. Yeah. 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 So for several chapters, she is it's the, high the on fruit truth of the serum. fruit of the tasty tree. <laughs> in, that's in... in in lawyer in terms she is high on truth serum uh-huh. and we get a whole backstory about how carl she keeps like you have to do some some inference and some other characters make the connections but the, the backstory you learn is that charles married her because she was very young and looked sort of childlike and treated her like a little baby and gave her vitamins, quote unquote, because she was sick, quote unquote. And so she thinks about her time being married to him as like this big fog where she was sick and he was taking care of her all the time. And then they had kids and he stopped doing whatever he was doing to her and did it and maybe was doing it to the kids or was, 
you know, even just being like physically abusive, who knows what he was doing. And at a certain point, he sends this guy, Rob Legler, over to his house to like fix something in the basement. Rob Legler like makes a pass at her and she's like, eh, no thanks. But I'm not taking my medicine anymore. I bet my husband would be mad about that. And Rob like makes some offhand comment about like not wanting to like bang her because she has kids or whatever. And I think she jokes about like, well, like the children would be, she says the children would be smothered, which I think she means is like something about mothering them or something. It's never really explained, but it becomes this big like line in the trial of like, does she mean like, like metaphorically smothered? I think so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because right. she's also like on whatever medicine that uh, Carl was giving her, mm-hmm. Professor Carl was giving her. And uh, in the trial, this is used as like she was planning to kill her kids so that she could run away from her marriage and be with this like student or something. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and that all kind of comes out while she's in this truth serum haze and doesn't really matter because the case is advancing over the course of the day and through a series of events, uh, including Michael getting the, the boy, Michael getting a hold of a phone and calling the house. Uh, they find out where they are and then she like, you know, goes there and saves the day and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it is a, the Nancy is a good person. Carl is a bad person. Uh, all the other kids in the region who have gone missing or were killed were clearly done by him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it takes a village to help solve a murder mystery. Kids are missing thriller. Uh, but there's no... I expected there to be also like a, a sleazy reporter character <laughs> or a good reporter character just trying to get the truth across. And that mm-hmm. perspective is conspicuously absent from the book considering literally everyone else who's crammed in here sure this is not on mary's wish list a lot of, a lot of archetypes but maybe not the ones you would expect it sounds like yeah some like i kind of generally thought that the character sketches were pretty effective the pacing worked for me the like the tense so like the thing that she gets and this will be our closing thought i think yeah let's do it the the thing that she is able to accomplish by telling you who the bad guy is early is that she can have a scene where Dorothy is showing off the house and you get the tension of the audience knowing that the kids are in there in danger and the the good characters don't know it and you're wondering like how the bad guy is going to get away with it. Mm-hmm. Like That seems like a scene she was interested to write. She's also interested in having like a C tier character like John Krogopoulos like run in there like a hero and try to fight the bad guy like 30, you know, not 30, but like 30% of the book before, because I'm reading on a Kindle, 30% of the book before the real characters get to fight him kind of thing. And you get the mounting suspense of like, well, clearly he's going to lose because he's the bad guy, but like you can have a lot of uncom- d- discomfort. You can cause discomfort for, th- for the reader by like seeing him get ready to do bad things, which you can't do if the book is literally where are the children. We never get to see where they are until they're rescued, and we don't know who took them until the very last second, which is I think I thought what the book was going to be 
which is just my own fault for for presuming a book. I literally judge it by its cover and its title, I guess. Well, I think especially when you get to like w- when you get early enough in the the history of a genre, like you're reading a book from 1975 instead of like 2005. Yep, yep. Clearly, like a lot of the conventions are not going to be set yet for better or worse, and so when you go to read something, like y- you won't you won't see what you're expecting to see and you won't, you won't see what a, like a modern example of this kind of book will be giving you because those things haven't been like discovered or defined or whatever yet. So. Yeah. And I, I feel like I don't remember how mayor of East town characterized some of its bad guys, but that, that show was also just kind of way more interested in like what her lived experience was. And I think that's where this genre has gone for a lot of people especially when you like see it be adapted into movie and TV from books where it's like we're interested in these characters and their lives the like the black and white good guys bad guys is not at the top of the list right. and that does seem like it was the top of the list for good old MHC mm-hmm. sure um so if that's if that's the thing you want out of a book yo it's here for you is ready you can watch mm-hmm. the bad guy get got the kids will come home and they're going to be okay Good. And they're going to celebrate mommy's birthday. And maybe so, she'll go down to the country club and sh- you know, let all, let all the, the fellas leer at her or whatever it is that wives do at country clubs in 1975. Yeah, that part, you know, like what life is she actually walking into now? It's not important. Not important. Um, but yeah, he did confess to all of the, all of the bad things he did before Good. he died. So she's mm-hmm. off the hook completely. Great. Um, yeah. I'm glad I read it just to know what is in these types of books. Yeah. 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 I, I had not read one before. Mm-hmm. So uh if you had read one before and you have thoughts, or you've read this one, or if you've read Where Are the Children Now, the sequel that I think takes place decades later, <laughs> and I think might be about different children. Um It's like let when us know. the Where's the Beef Lady did a commercial for somebody else where she's like, Here's the beef, and she got fired by Wendy. <laughs> Mary like Higgins Clark, like decades later, writes a book called Here Are the Children. Which phone company them. hired the other phone guy? Oh, uh, I think Sprint hired the Verizon guy. Something like that. You got to get to the bottom of that. Send us an email. I only, I only remember because I'm like, I see that guy. I'm like, oh, he looks kind of like Rivers Cuomo from the band Weezer. It is the Rivers Cuomo guy. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it is, it is Sprint. Sprint hired him. Okay. Anyway, overduepod at gmail.com is the email address where you can uh, tell us where the children are. Because we only know about two of them. Yeah, we had, we need to get a bigger sample size. So um, we just or, know statistically where the, where the children are. Or just tell us your thoughts on the 1980 film Popeye by Robert Altman starring Robin Williams and Kate mm-hmm. Duvall. Mm-hmm. Or Shelley Duvall, excuse me. Kate yes. Mulgrews, who I was thinking about from the From second, the Rip Torn movie, yes. From the Rip Torn mm-hmm. movie, yep. Um, Overdue Pod is our social media handle. Follow us there as well. Our theme song is composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com. Fire up your favorite web browser and hop on the information superhighway and come on down to our website. Up there we have a list of the books that we are reading for the month. Our September schedule will be out pretty soon. 
I think we're just waiting for that poll that Craig mentioned at the top of the show to wrap up, and then we'll know everything that we are reading. I can tell you what next week's book will be. That would be great, but wait for let me let me. I'm just you're gonna break my break my stride. I'm just okay. gonna get through my whole thing. Sorry, Patreon.com/slash/overdupod okay. is our Patreon page uh even though craig is trying to interrupt me this page is the lifeblood of our entire enterprise and it sends our kids to daycare and pays for equipment pays for books and we give patrons some fun rewards access to our discord server uh access to bonus episodes early you get to sit on bonus episode recordings you get early access to long read episodes that we're doing right now we are rolling into the end of neil gaiman's the sandman we'll be starting emily wilson's translation of the iliad pretty soon uh so get in on all of it it's pretty fun i think all right now you can go thank you for waiting i would like to tell you that we're kicking off september uh by having our friends from the worst bestsellers on to talk about slammed by colleen hoover Mm -hmm. yet another entry in What's up with that style of book over there by that author that a lot of people have read? Mm-hmm. Let's go over there and find out. And I had less... F- I th- <laughs> At the beginning of that episode, I say that I thought I had a good time reading the book. And by the end of the episode, I think my opinion may have changed. Okay. All right. Uh, and then also, as you are hearing this on August 28th, on August 31st, we're going to be recording our bonus episode for the month. I'm can't, I can't read this. The page is sort of smudged. Uh, you read a book by Michael Lewis called Monkey Ball. <laughs> About the Sega arcade game Monkey Ball. Uh-huh. Is that what, uh, is this right? Is this information, is this information accurate? No, that's a prank I pulled. I took a Sharpie and put a K in the title. Oh, it's oh, actually dang. just Money Ball. Mm-hmm. It's a baseball book. You and, love, a, and you love baseball. You're the baseball lovingest guy I know, I think. I do love baseball, and I, I'm excited to talk about this like kind of seminal uh, work in the development of the game and how I am having trouble reconciling it with my current understanding of the labor politics of the game. Mm-hmm. And also, that movie's good. Um but I don't know how that relates to the book, really. We'll figure it out. We'll put it all together. So, yeah, join us live to figure it out and put it all together. Uh, we're going to run the base. <laughs> Neither of us are the best at podcasting, but we're really good at like specific weird areas in podcasting that you wouldn't really think about. And if you put us all together, we make for a strangely compelling podcasting team. Yeah. Put, put us all together? Yeah, both of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're, I hope you're not wondering, where is the stop button? <laughs> anyway, until we talk to you next time, please try to be happy. Goodbye. Try to be happy. Bye. <laughs>